At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouth guards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouth guards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City. <laughs> We're coming back in. <laughs> Dude, don't make any sound. Don't make any sound. We're live. Don't do it. Don't do it. Of course, he like whips the thing, and all I can hear is just this muffled sound. Sure enough, Frank will come in pretty soon, and he'll start barking into the mic. Oh, man. He's, Welcome to the show. 100, Frank's 110% of her. I'm not doubting that. <laughs> uh, Towers is using his, his old but new mic all at the same time, so uh, hopefully his sound is coming in a little bit better today. Uh, but we got a packed show. Uh, and very, very excited about it. Uh, AT, you know, we talked at length last week about Michigan uh, and the potential Michigan uh, candidates. Um, and are there any new candidates that you, I mean, I have a new candidate that I think would be a great fit for Michigan. I think that also has kind of ties to the situation and his relationships with uh, Ward Manuel, who is the previous athletic director at UConn, uh, which is uh, Mike Pressler and a very dark horse for the job. But I think it's actually not as dark as people think, because I think he could be a front runner for the for the job. I really do. Uh, what do you think of Mike Pressler? Well, well, there's there's no question that Mike Pressler would would be a great hire. I mean, let's face it, the guy's proved that he can coach the game at the highest level. Uh, I, I think before he got screwed at Duke the way that he did, I think he was on the verge of winning three, four, five national championships there. You know, let's not forget that the Brattons had committed to Duke at that point. Um, you know, they had beaten Virginia, who I think went on to win the national championship that year. You know, they had beaten them like, 17 to two. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just a matter of time before Mike Pressler won a national championship at Duke. Um, and you got to believe that that was going to be the first of many. So in terms of his ability to do the job, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he could do the job and do it very, very well. Um, you know, is he the best hire? Um, you know, in some respects, you can look at him as a as as potentially the best hire. In that, you know, he went up to Dartmouth or he went up to Bryant and essentially took them D one and has done phenomenal things at Bryant. You know, for them to beat Syracuse up in the dome the way that they did in the national tournament on a Saturday after playing a playing game on Wednesday. Um, you know, he's just consistently been able to compete with the best teams year in, year out with players that we wouldn't say have been evaluated as 
you know, the who's who of high school lacrosse. He's not, he's not getting a ton of, you know, top 50 inside lacrosse recruits each year. Yet, they still find a way to seemingly beat Brown and Harvard and these teams that do get bigger name, higher profile recruits, you know, in addition to being a consistent attendee to the end of the year NCAA tournament. So um, right. I, I think Mike Pressler would do a fantastic job. I'm not positive Mike Pressler is going to put his name in the hat. You know, I think every coach out there wants to be wanted. So I'm sure that he would love to be called and he would love to, you know, uh, have a hand extended from Michigan to him as it relates to, is he interested in the job? But I think he loves living in Rhode Island. I think that certainly he doesn't need the money. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, where's the real appeal for him? I mean, I think the appeal would be the one shot, which would be, does he stand a greater chance of winning a national championship at Michigan than he does at Bryant? The short answer to that is clearly yes. But the other side of that is that's something that Mike Pressler needs to feel like his college coaching career is, is complete. And I'm not sure he does. You know, I think, I think he knows that he can coach the game at the highest level and was on the verge of winning a national championship. Now, that's different than actually winning a national championship. <laughs> that's very you know, different. That's very is. different. And, and, and listen, he was at Ohio State. I think he lost in three NCAA championship games. You know, I could be wrong on the exact number, but he definitely lost, you know, more than two NCAA championship games you know, to Hobart during their reign with Billy Miller and, um, you know, Eric Stein and, and, and all of those guys playing at that time. Uh, and then got the job at Duke. And as we previously stated, was was on the way to winning, I, I think, more than one national championship at Duke. I think that, you know, if Dom won four, you know, two of those might be Mike Pressler's. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's taking them from Bill Tierney. <laughs> but no. I just think that, uh, you know, Coach Pressler has to have peace of mind on his ability to coach the game at the highest level. And I think anybody that knows the sport and the history of the sport knows that Mike Pressler was going to win national championships at Duke. Had I got, he not I, been failed by that scumbag Mike Knifon. I got. I know. I gotta. I gotta disagree with you and slight. I, I do agree with everything you said, but I. I think that the competitive nature of these guys, when they, you don't get to the height of coaching at Duke without being an incredibly competitive, and in some ways cutthroat, person, and you know you look at like the football head football coaches. And I know yeah, there's a like wrestlers as cutthroat as they get. I know, and and for me, the, the the biggest comment that you made was, is he satisfied going out with never winning a national championship when when you just said he was literally fifteen minutes away from winning it, every, like three two to three times. He was going to win it just more. a minute, as they would say in Atlanta hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a that's a that's a big big deal and he certainly could do that at Michigan could he do it at Bryant I mean the odds are low <laughs> um but, He's not do I, it at Bryant, but he could do it at Michigan he could do it at Michigan he could do it quick 
Think about that too. That's the other poll too. Quickly, Think about quickly. quickly. If if he Modifies wanted to, how he's doing it, <laughs> he could do it very quickly. Uh, and I think that if he's thinking of, you know, putting his career to rest, does he go to Michigan, blow it out for five, six years, and then high five, win a national championship? I'm out and drop the mic. Um, I, I don't know. And I think that that's it. Should be a conversation that Ward Manuel has with Pressler. That's for sure. Uh, it, it, he'd be crazy not to reach out and give Pressler a call. If anything, just to ask Mike Pressler who he should be calling. If he doesn't, and you can assume that Michigan doesn't very know very much about the game of lacrosse. Uh, so I, I thought that that was an interesting name that kept coming up in the whole Michigan thing. But here's the deal. I, I, I've said this over and over to a lot of people. I'm not necessarily so much interested in the Michigan job um, because I know that Michigan's going to go ahead and they're going to pay for whomever they want. They're going to pay for a national championship in the next five, six years. I personally believe that or come very, very close to doing it. For me, I'm more interested in the job that Michigan opens up in the end. You know, I think that they're going to end up pushing a head coach into their spot from a big-time institution. And I'm more interested in to see what happens from that side of things uh, more than I am Michigan hiring one of the best coaches in the country because they are certainly going to do that. The other job up there, AT, is Delaware. And rumors, right. of course, are starting to circulate as to who would be the best fit for Delaware. And I think I have some – I'm going to throw some names at you, AT. All right, I love this. All right. First name I'm going to throw at you. Kevin Conry. I don't think that's a shocker for anyone. No, I, I thought, I thought, frankly, that Kevin would have taken a D1 job over the course of the last few years, given how much of an integral part he has been in allowing Maryland to literally get to the national championship. While they haven't won, uh, I don't think that... Uh, you know, these committees, when they're out looking for viable candidates, can look at Kevin Connery and have anything negative to say. I mean, I think that I think he'd be a great hire. I think his body of work has proven that he, um, you know, is going to knock it out of the park when he gets his opportunity to do it. Um, is he better than the other guys? I don't know. But certainly Kevin's been very successful for the last five, six years. And I think that he is somebody that clearly has proven that he is worth taking a chance on. And I don't think that there's a job too big for him. You know, if you are the head assistant at Maryland and Maryland is a school known for their defense and he's running their defense and you're looking to hire somebody. You don't need to look much farther than these guys that are top assistants at the top schools that have run a side of the ball. And those programs are known for that side of the ball. A lot yep. like Jerry Byrne is at Notre Dame. That's a right. A lot like Matt Brown is as it relates to DU's offense. That's right. Kevin Conry is the defensive uh, genius down in College Park, and Maryland yep. is a team known for their defense. So I think that Kevin Connery would do a phenomenal job and should be highly considered for Delaware, if not the front runner. Well, I'm going to give you another name. 
Okay. And then you're gonna you're gonna reel back on that real quick. Good. Because because we're gonna go to your your boy's okay, hometown. So it parallels my attention span. <laughs> really high highs and really low lows. That's the way I roll. Dave Metzbauer. Again, it, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I am gonna be back up <laughs> for the exact for the exact same reasons that Kevin represents the defensive side. You got. You know, Metsy on the offensive side. He, well, Metsy represents offense over the last 25 years. Well, see, that, and, and that's the thing. I think that you look at all the factors involved, and you have to look at Dave Metzbauer as, as the number one obvious choice. He's the guy that they need to find out if he is serious about this opportunity. Because if he is... It's they should show. have him interview in flip flops. <laughs> no Nikes. No, 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 no Nikes. Nikes. <laughs> Listen, if I mean Dave Metzbauer, all they should do is just call him up and say, "Are you wearing flip flops?" And if he says yes, they said, "Are Are you getting ready to have your first sip of a mai tai, but you haven't had it yet?" And if he says yes, I haven't had a sip, and they say, "Okay, well then we can have a conversation about you coming up to Delaware and becoming our next head coach." <laughs> And depending upon how that conversation goes, that may be the end of the search right there. I mean, as you said, <laughs> he's got seven now national championships, right? Seven. Six, of, six is the offense coordinator at Princeton, and one. And technically, the, he was also technically he was also the defensive coordinator at Princeton during that time. Towers, don't forget that. So I mean, listen, <laughs> he, he's a no-brainer, you know. But as we said last podcast, it's whether or not Metsy wants. To wear the head coaching hat that that's all it comes down to it's not whether he could do it it's not whether he'd be the best fit he he he's he's yes 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 is what he is that's it's, right it's it's dave do you want this do you want this role or, or do you want you know all of the crap that goes along with being the head coach do you want to deal with alumni that whine when they want you to take their kid and that kid's high school coaches are saying he's a D3 player and you don't take him. Does he want to deal with all of that stuff? Clearly there's no residual situations from Dartmouth on that lead in there, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is, uh, you know, this isn't about anything other than does Dave Metzbauer want the job? Because if he does, you got to believe that's his job. I would offer, if I'm, if I'm the Delaware AD, I'm offering Dave Metzbauer the job. If he says no, then I'm opening it to other candidates. With that said, when we were talking about Kevin a few minutes ago, Kevin Connery would be a fantastic hire. But that offer has to go across Dave Metzbauer's desk. And if he says no, then who are the next best candidates? If he says yes, search is over. He's your man. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, he's also an alum of Delaware, so that plays in a big part of this. And the reason why this might be an opportunity that he finally decides. There's there's no denying that Metzbauer has been called multiple times for multiple openings over the last decade, um, and probably longer than that, actually. Uh, but he's just probably turned them all down. I mean, uh, it's been known that the AD even said that they offered him the Princeton job, and he's turned it down. He decided to spend more time with family, went out to PA, and I think that just like we had talked about Pressler, he had the competitive edge bug still in him and not realizing it heads down to North Carolina. And of course, what does he do? He wins a natty. Uh, so, uh, you know, from the, from that perspective or no, he goes to Loyola first. Right. And then he goes to uh, North Carolina. Right. Um, so 
uh, being an alum is an important piece to that puzzle. Uh, secondly, I mentioned him being the defensive coordinator at Princeton during their six national championship runs, not because he was the actual defensive coordinator. Of course, that was Bill Tierney. But because once they had the ball, you never saw it back. So he became the defensive personnel as well. Right. Great, that's a great point. Uh, so uh, from that, I got another couple names. A lot of names, actually. Here's another one that you're going to say uh, who represents. You already did it. Matt Brown is an, is it could be a potential Delaware job candidate. What do you think of that one? I think that's another guy. Um, you know, clearly Brownie, I think, and, and you and I spoke about this a few different times, but two weeks ago when Brownie was on the podcast, um, you know, I think you have to look at the two best offensive minds in the sport right now yep. are Dave Metzbauer and Matt Brown. Um, and they're different types of coaches. You know, they're different they're different personalities. Um, and, you know, I think that Matt Brown would be an absolute home run. I think it would be a seamless transition for him to recruit the kids to Delaware coming from DU. I think that the academic requirements are similar. I think that they have the leeway in admissions. They have scholarship support. They've got every reason to succeed at Delaware, much like they do at DU. And I think Matt Brown would do a phenomenal job and would make Delaware an immediate player, um, you know, on the national scene. And, you know, if I'm choosing between those two guys, as you said, Metsy's an alum, Metsy lives in the area. Um, I, I, I think that it's Metsy's opportunity first, but I don't have a doubt in my, man, in my mind that Matt Brown would be a tremendous hire and would crush that job. I do agree that um, I think that he's itching to be a head coach. In my opinion, he certainly carries himself. We had him on the podcast, as you mentioned. He carries himself as a head coach. In fact, for all intents and purposes, we talk about Jerry Byrne being a head coach. Matt Brown is a head coach. Mets Bauer is a head coach. Some of these assistants are head coaches um, already. Uh, and so from that standpoint, uh, I, I really believe that he would be a good fit. But I do also know or believe myself that, you know, Bill Tierney's not going to be around forever. Thank God. I mean, he's he just swallowed up. He might be is right. He like like all the best players like Lyle Thompson and Rob Pinnell were like, please just graduate. The coaches, the coaches <laughs> that are coaching now must feel the way that the players in my era, specifically in my class, the class above me and the class below me felt when the gates were playing. <laughs> it was like, it just sucked, you know, it just sucked because you felt like you were really playing for number two. Now, right. it's, it's not totally spot on, but it just feels that way, doesn't it a little bit? And I remember feeling like, you know, I think I was like 43 years old and living up in, you know, the insass capital of New England and, and Norwich, Jesus. Vermont. And it, Gary Gate was like still playing for the mammoth. And, he, and, and my wife looked at me and she goes, he's still playing? <laughs> Why doesn't he give somebody else a chance? And I just thought that was so good. So spot on. 
Uh, he led. He was player coach and led the MLL in scoring in his final year. I think he had retired, but he was like, "I'm going to coach." But then sometimes I might put on equipment and play, and uh, I just happened to lead the league in scoring that year. Uh, just right. insane, insane. <laughs> right. So, Gary, right? I mean, how many <laughs> points do you plan on getting? Are you ten thousand indoor points? I couldn't. I couldn't score a goal if I was the only one on the floor in an LLL game, and it was me and the goalie, and there was nobody else. Jimmy Harkin just texted me and said, uh, if I felt that same way about Petro when I was walking to practice for two years and I was just his little bitch the whole time. <laughs> I was dead man walking to practice for two straight years. You, I, I, Graduate, I think, Petro. I think, the, I think the Hopkins school store should sell number 10 Hopkins jerseys and on the back, it should say Petro's bitch. And that could be Jimmy Harkins. That would be a shout out. <laughs> Jimmy Harkins is a star. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, in man. Pink, in, in pink, and it'd like very, very faintly, it'd say like Lindbrook High School, like <laughs> property of Lindbrook High School, Petro's bitch, right, on the, right above number 10. Oh, man. I got a few more. We got to kind of hustle through this. Uh, right. Ben DeLuca. Yeah. Ben DeLuca, assistant at Harvard. What do you think of that one? Uh, I got a very high opinion of Ben. I think that Ben, frankly, I thought he got a raw deal at the Cornell situation, the way that, that ended. Um, and to the credit of John Donowski, he brought Ben down and they won a national championship. Uh, and then Ben gets back into the Ivy League after a few years at Duke and goes up to Harvard. And, you know, they haven't had the success that we thought that they would have had, you know, is that Ben's fault? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, look, Harvard has never really been successful. Right. And a right. lot like Dartmouth. And I was just talking to, um, you know, somebody yesterday about this. I was talking to T-Mac, of course, you know, it's like <laughs> these schools that have not been good forever. What's the commonality, the rotation of coaches, that these committees are all positive, are going to put, put that program over the hump, or the school itself, right? Well, yep. pretty easy, yep. right? So Har Harvard has been average long before Ben DeLuca got there, and Wojcik, yep. and Scott A., just like Dartmouth has been below average for every year in the history of the program, except one year with Ricky Soule when he you know, won the league, which is incredible. Well, right? Our four years was pretty successful. Well, you were. Oh, oh, three to six. Yeah, I mean that was Ricky coaching, right? I mean, Ricky walks on water. Then, no, you were there, at. Well, you I mean, were there for two yeah, of the years. But in terms of being successful, like being like winning the league, that's what I'm talking about. We were four and two in 2005, and we should have gone to the national tournament. And you know it. Beat Maryland. We beat Notre Dame, but we lost to Albany. 29 unforced turnovers. Sean Anthony, where are you? But <laughs> uh, you know, my point being is that Ben DeLuca is a great coach. He's an established coach. He's got the respect of all of the coaches that, let's face it, know the sport way better than the alums who have kids that wanted to go to these schools or are pouting because Ben DeLuca started the better goalie instead of the senior goalie, right? And and the, the reality is, I think Ben DeLuca would do a great job at Delaware. I don't know if that's the perfect fit for him. It may be. I don't know Ben that well. I know him fairly well. 
but I do have a ton of respect for what he's done in his coaching career. You know, we took over Cornell after Jeff left and, you know, they went to the final four. He, you know, got run out of Cornell for a reason that I think was just a, a witch hunt, to be honest with you. And he goes down to Duke and helps them win a national championship. I mean, Ben DeLuca's a winner. Ben DeLuca mm-hmm. would go and he would do a great job at Duke. Is he the best fit for Duke based on uh, Delaware? Is he the best fit for Delaware based on his background of going to Cornell, coaching at Cornell, going to Duke? I'm sorry, you know, coaching at Duke and then yep. going to Harvard. I, I see those as, you know, three of the best 10 or 11 academic schools in the country that offer Division One lacrosse. And while Ben has proven that he can get the best out of high-end academic kids, you know, is is Delaware the perfect fit for him that way? I don't know. I mean, um, I, I don't know. But I, I know he can coach the game. I know he would do uh, a great job. But are there other guys out there that may be a better fit? I see Ben as a better fit at Michigan than I do at Delaware. Interesting. I, I see Interesting. I'm going to give you one more name, and then I'm going to rack off the next three that I think that are, are are quality names that are going to be potentially in the running for this job. Uh, but the next name I'm going to give you uh, is a head coach, Taylor Ray. And I know you've spoken highly about him yeah. last year during this time in the, the um, uh, job search and his name being thrown around a few times. Yeah. Uh, obviously, St. Joe's season was not – what it was, you know, deemed it could have been this year, uh, but that doesn't change what Taylor has done at St. Joe's. What, uh, what are your thoughts on Taylor uh, and Delaware? Yeah, I, I have a very, very high opinion of him. I don't know him at all as a guy. I covered great him once. I great covered guy. him once in the hoop at UMBC, and he was a, <laughs> he was a man child. It was like covering pork. It was like a refrigerator, right? And the guy's a, yep. the guy's a truck. Um, but I'll tell you, for him to take over a perennial losing, perennially losing program when he did, um, you know, what, five, six years ago, something like that, maybe even longer at St. Joe's and, and, yeah. and to turn them into a program that for all intents and purposes, put the fear of God into everybody the last two years, not this past spring, but, but the two years before that, um, you know, shows that this guy is for real. You know, yes. schools like St. Joe's and, and um, you know, schools like that, it, injuries can destroy a season so quickly at places that don't have adequate depth, right? Restivo was a huge hit this year. It's a huge hit. You know, you take Jamie Coffin or Ben Grinnell off of the Dartmouth teams that – you were on, and all of a sudden, those teams change drastically. If Gavin Phillips gets hurt, nobody's licking their wounds. No offense, Gavin. You're the man. <laughs> right? Yep. But the fact is, if the wrong guy gets hurt, or the wrong guys get hurt at yep. schools that don't have adequate depth, and certainly St. Joe's is one of those types of schools, and as you mentioned, Restivo, it just it's unrealistic to think that you're going to be able to, to – compete with the big boys. Um, you know, in 2016, he didn't have those injuries. And in 2015, he didn't have those injuries. And they were, you know, a very, very scary team. Yep. I mean, they they were, they beat Penn, they 
almost beat Virginia. You know, they, they have some great, great performances. So I think Taylor Ray, um, you know, has definitely earned uh, the type of attention that he may be getting from these schools as they look for their next head coach. I think he'd do an awesome job. And then you factor in, um, you know, that he's Canadian and I'll have a pipeline to all of the kids up there and be able to have success in admissions. I, I think that he, I think he would be a really, really good fit at, at, at Delaware. I got three names for you. You can talk to him, uh, talk about them all at once here. Um, I've got, and these are the last three names. I've got Bobby Benson, yeah. Matt Danowski, and Pat Myers. Three more assistant coaches candidates for the Delaware job. What are your thoughts? Right. Um, you know, Bobby Benson's an interesting one. You know, they've, he's been in Hopkins for a long time and he, you know, he had a lot of success at Loyola. I think they, I look at Hopkins offense and I like it better now than three years ago. Sure. Um, you know, but, but I don't know if, going to Delaware where they're not getting the who's who of college cross. Is that a good fit for Bobby Benson? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, clearly he's, he's uh, a great coach and, and, you know, somebody that brings a lot to the table, but I'm not positive that that type of transition is the one that he wants. Um, you know, the second name, what, who's the second guy you said? Uh, Matt Donowski and Pat Myers are last, uh, left. Pat Myers, to me, uh, definitely knows the sport at a very, very high level. When he was coaching at Carolina, I really liked what Carolina was doing. They had a plan for every aspect of the game, and we used to go down there, and they used to kill us. Um, and so I got a lot of respect for Pat Myers and his knowledge of the game and his ability to get the most out of his teams. Um you know, I, I I think he's got a greater challenge at Penn than he did at Carolina. Um, but if Penn continues to have games where they're throwing 17 up on schools like Virginia, then clearly that seems to be a good transition. Um, if if they are struggling, I you know, I don't know. I, I, he's a he's north of thirty eight percent offensive efficiency for twenty seventeen. So that's that's pretty good. I mean that's that's impressive. I, I I don't I think Pat knows the game really well, and he's clearly got Agreed. a plan for everything that you know every situation that a team can face. He's got a plan for that. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of Matt Donowski, I I don't think Matt Donowski is done playing the game at a really high level yet. I think he's still considered one of the very best players in the sport. And I think that until his playing career is done, I think that just the time commitment involved with being a head coach is something that I think is too great of a challenge at this point. I'm not saying he doesn't have the lacrosse know-how to do the job at a you know, at a very high level, I, I, he does. I mean, there's no question. But is he ready to hang up his stick yet? You know, I, I think that he needs to go and win. The, 
a, the 2018 the 2018 World Games looms large in the eyes of a lot of guys yeah. who are my age and a little like even Paul yes. Rabel 2008 graduates 2009 yes. graduates 2018 World Games looms large in those guys minds I, I agree and I was just gonna say that I think that you know that's that's sort of the last piece for Matt Donowski is to go win the World Games with Team USA and I think when he does that, and I hope that they do it, and I think that they will do it, then I think he'll feel like, you know what? My, uh, my career is done, I feel great about it, and, uh, and, and I'm ready to, to, to coach full time and no longer have that playing itch to scratch. I, I think that's, until, until he's done playing, I don't think he can be considered a head coach candidate for any of these premier jobs. I just don't. So we have two other uh, job openings. Uh, one is very interesting. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, the second one is has been uh, an announcement. We talked a little bit about it when it first came out, but St. Bonaventure, what kind of candidate and what is the best candidate that St. Bonaventure could possibly get to run their program in at least the first five years of their contract? What's the best... You know, and not necessarily names, but what what is the candidate that the they would be like? Yeah, what is the quality of a guy that's going to go into St. Bonaventure? Obviously, somebody that wants to live in the Buffalo area, right? Uh, but but and that's huge. Uh, but what do you think would be the best move for a school like St. Bonaventure? Are they going to go to the D three people who probably uh, be more willing to live out there? Uh, have you know will have the willingness to hustle and do the grind that Bonaventure? Or do they seek a high level, uh, you know, assistant coach at the D one level to try? try to really build a culture there. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, there's just so many different directions St. Bonaventure can go to. And of course, who, who knows who's applying for the job and who knows who they've reached out to. Uh, but it's a really interesting, uh, you know, position because the addition, as a lot of the inside lacrosse guys were mentioning, the addition of St. Bonaventure could, in the next year or two years, could change conferences around, create an A-10 conference, and all of a sudden, now you potentially are in a conference that's actually winnable. You're not an independent that it doesn't look so, you know, it looks real grim if you're an independent at St. Bonaventure. Yeah, I think that, I think you hit the nail on the head. First thing you got to have is somebody that, you know, in a perfect world wants to live in that area. Uh, that's true. You can have trouble finding somebody that wants to live in that area. No offense, Mike <laughs> Brand, where are you? Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that that's one thing so that you, you aren't, bringing somebody in that looks at it as I just got to go there and, you know, get a couple wins and then go get my next opportunity. I think if you can find some stability there, that's going to be critical in building a foundation that's going to allow them to be successful long term. We all know there's a big difference between building a program and fielding a team. That's and right. Somebody that, you know, is interested in raising a family there is that's somebody that you can count on to build a program. And I think that that's critical. Um, who are the right people for that? I mean, just based on where they are geographically, I, I would I would be looking at Randy Mearns. I'd be looking at some guys that, you know, maybe have that connection up in Canada where they can get kids to cross the border. Um, Randy Mearns doesn't leave Canisius, though, do you? I, I don't it's basically know. the same job. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that over time... Staying at a school too long, if you don't win enough, can become a serious grind. 
And I think it's a grind for people that do win enough. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he's he's up in that area. He was a phenomenal player. He's done, I think, a great job. Um, well, he would definitely be a person that they would want to call simply to get ideas of who to call for their search, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if you're Randy Merge and they call you about who they should be looking at, at a school that's not too far away that you're definitely going to be competing with for recruits that are willing to go to school in that area. I mean, if I'm Randy Merge and I'm getting that call, I'd say you really should be looking at Mickey Mouse. I heard he's phenomenal. <laughs> right. I mean, that, yeah. I, I just don't think that I don't think he's the guy to call for that. Um, you know, I, I think a good guy to call would be John Paul. I don't think John Paul would go there. Um, but John, great Paul, call. John Paul's just done at Michigan what they're Saint starting Ron's to do would like, would like to do. And so, That's right. you know, he, he knows how to do that. Um, I don't think, I don't think that John would leave Michigan. I don't think that he would do that. Um, but I, I think, listen, anybody that's had experience starting up a program and is willing to live in that area are guys you want to target. I just, I just think that you're going to get guys that are dying to get out of D3 to get into D1, and that's going to be a group. What about Steve you, Bevel? Steve Bevel would be a very interesting candidate. I think that Steve Bevel, though, enjoys competing for a national championship <laughs> every single year yeah every single year he's got and, d1 ties as we know yeah i mean listen he'd be he'd be a great hire steve bevel would be a home run um he's a great guy and he's a great coach best dude but, best but, coach. But, but, but i don't see steve bevel going back to a situation that's not too unlike vermont and i feel like it's he was true at vermont for a long time and i think being the hyper competitive guy that he is and having been a player that played at the highest level, I just think five and eight seasons make you crazy. And <laughs> I don't think he's going to leave a program where he's going 15 and two and competing for a national championship every year to go back to a program that, let's face it, is probably going to be a five and eight program for a while. Right. So I don't see the right. devil making that move, but I do think he would be a phenomenal hire if they could get him. It's interesting. St. Bonaventure's got a lot of different options, uh, and they have to do a lot of work. And personally, I believe, um, I think that um, the application deadline on their website says June 1st, um, and I'm not so sure that they're going to wait that long. But I think that it's really interesting. If you go the D3 route, let's face it, the D3 guys, the best guys in D3 know how to recruit. And they know how to get on the horn. I mean, it's going to be a little different too now that with all the D1 rules and you can't touch anyone until uh, September 1st of their junior year. But that doesn't apply. That only applies to really 10, 15, 20 schools in the country. It definitely doesn't apply to the St. Bonaventures out there. You can get to work. And if you're already evaluated the senior and junior class right now, you can do some work. Uh, and I think that that's an edge that a D3 guy would have. Um, and I think that this summer is really important for the recruitment of the guys uh, at St. Bonaventure. But I just I thought it was fascinating to throw them in the loop uh, just because we're talking about so many candidates. Would any one of the candidates that we've been talking about uh, take a look at a place like that? Do you uh, think so? I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that any of those guys <laughs> would do that. Listen, you, you build up a resume and you wait for the right job 
But the challenge is in waiting for the right job and realizing the anxiety connected with trying to get the a D1 opportunity. It's like that's the tennis match. It's I well, you, you always said AT yesterday. You always said if you're given an opportunity, go for it. You have to take it. Yeah, I think you have to look at everything all the time. And you know, one of the things about making a transition from assistant coach to head coach is that when you when you make that transition, you're kind of committing yourself to settling down and sort of raising your family in that environment. As an assistant coach, call. you know every year you're constantly living out of a suitcase. And you're and you're and you could be moving. And yep. you just are never really settled down. And as somebody without children, you can you can live that nomadic lifestyle a little bit and it doesn't really create a lot of fallout. For somebody with a wife and more importantly with with kids where you've got to deal with getting them into school and all that sort of stuff and take into that, you know, whole dynamic into consideration. You really want to wait for a situation that you think first and foremost is going to allow you financially to be able to create a high quality of life for your family. Yeah. Along those lines in a perfect world, you're also able to build a program and win. That's um, right. And I think that, as we've said before, anybody that's coaching college sports is hyper competitive. And I think you need to absolutely love it almost more than anything else to be able to do it, just knowing the time commitment involved with it. That's right. And, and at the same time, you know, nothing's more important than your wife and kids. So you, you've got to, you've got to create, it has to be the right situation for people to take an opportunity like that. And these guys that are assistants at top level programs, do they want to use their chip? Yeah. They got a chip to, to they got turn a chip. in for yeah. that opportunity. I just don't think you're going to, I just don't think you're going to see those type of guys. You're not going to see the top assistants in division one lacrosse putting their name in. Well, they may put their name in, they may go through the interview process and to get the raise. guy that gets offered the job, <laughs> they may just say, thank you. But you know, they increased my package over here at, <laughs> at big Pine state and I'm going to stay right. here. Uh, you know, because let's face it, a lot of these guys ultimately are going to be competing for these premier jobs and they don't want to be going into those interviews <clears throat> and have that be the first interview process they've gone through. That's because right. A, there's an element of practice in, in, yes. in obtaining these jobs that if you don't interview three, four, five times, you don't get better at interviewing. And if you don't, that could be the reason why you don't get the job. If they're putting together a committee of people at Michigan that don't know lacrosse that well, and they're bringing in three different great candidates that all been endorsed by the lacrosse world, and one guy is the least accomplished and perhaps the least knowledgeable of the three candidates, yet he interviews the best. That could make he, the difference. It does make the difference. 
Yeah. And so I think that these guys that have these impressive resumes, I think it's it's important responsible to their futures career-wise to not apply for everything, go through the interview process, and then if they're offered the job, get all the information, compare apples to apples, and then make the decision that's in the best interest for your family's future, right? But that's right. But I think you're gonna limit yourself if you say, you know what, I'm not interviewing for any of these jobs. Oh, Delaware opened up, that's the one that I've been waiting for. And then you go interview and that's your first interview, you're not gonna do as well on that interview if that's your first interview then if you've interviewed for five other jobs, you know, whether you've gotten offered the job or not, you, you just, it's really true, man. Yeah, It's really true. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that, you know, Bonaventure has to be careful of that too. Right. And, and it, it, it goes to the other side. These administrations know that these coaches are doing just that. And so you wonder, you know, where do they draw the line and making phone calls to candidates that they figure there's no way they're taking my opportunity, but they'd certainly take my phone call and bump up their own situation. It's it's a fascinating dynamic well, between you know the way that it new works, programs, right? The coaches, the head coaches, can't proactively go out and look for a job. Of so course, what they do of is course. they say to their buddy, who's an alum who knows the AD or the associate AD, <laughs> they say, "Hey, you know, here's the deal. I can't formally apply for this job because I don't want my athletic director to think that I don't want to be here at Ding Dong State." Right. So check it out, feel it out. And if I'm a guy that's a serious candidate for them, then let them know that I can't call them, but I'd have a ton of interest in speaking to them about that open opportunity and have them call my athletic director and ask if they can have permission to speak to me. That's the way that it works. The assistant yep. coach. There's no agents. There's right? no agents. Right. Well, it's all that's backroom nice. jobs. Right. So yep. the, then you got the assistant coaches can apply for everything because they're only assistant right. coaches. That's right. So, you know, it's it's a circumventathon. <laughs> it is. It is. So, speaking of uh, fascinating situations, Cornell and and Coach Kerwick has stepped down at Cornell for the 2018 season, and Millman is now the interim head coach for the entire 2018 season. Right. I don't think, short of Kerwick happening to Kerwick, but Kerwick was announced as the interim, I think, in like November, right? I mean, it was right it was away. really, but it was really late. Like DeLuca was fired in the fall, and Ker Kerwick was hired right away as the interim. But like, it was way too late to hire the most qualified candidate. Well, he started, obviously Kerwick, Kerwick earned the job. Started nine and zero that spring, had a great, and they were like, "This is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy." And, they, and then they removed right. the interim label, right? But 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 that that was a different scenario though. You know what I mean? Because it was a late fire, a late hire. He went in, interviewed, and they opened up the search because there were definitely candidates on campus, and they gave it to Kerwick. But this, it is now May tenth. They've announced that their head coach is no longer going to be in, and then they hire or they just slap an interim on Millman as the head coach for an entire year: yeah. summer, fall, winter, spring. You're the head coach. You know what that's called? First off, yeah. what? That's the Jeff T protection plan. <laughs> I mean, is there an who's sponsoring that? The Geico is the, the insurance Cornell company association. The Cornell Men's Lacrosse Alumni Association is sponsoring that. 
right? I mean, let's oh, face it, they man. get, you know, sort of, I don't think it's, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say it at all, that they have the next Tim Goldstein, Rob Pinnell, Eamon McEnany, finishing up his freshman year at Cornell, <laughs> you better believe they want some continuity given this situation. I, I, I still don't know all the facts surrounding this situation and we may not know for a while, but this shocked me. Last yeah. week we talked about Matt Kerwick, or I said, you know, you take, you give out a second half of the 2017 season coach of the year award and Matt Kerwick would be in that conversation as somebody that got off to a rough start in the beginning of the year and found a way to have his team playing at a very high level in the second half of the season. You know, that's they, right. And, and, and so for somebody that's not enjoying his job, he did an awful good job, awfully good job, <laughs> you know, down the stretch of the year. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, this exit. Um, yeah, it's just, really weird. I just don't think that, I just don't, it'll be interesting to see what the real facts are here because I think Matty Kerwick uh, has, has, done a, has done a good job at Cornell. And we knew coming into this season with all freshmen and sophomores that this was going to be a tough year for him. And it was for the first seven games. And then they went and did really, really well down the stretch of the season. And that's a preview for the next two and three seasons at Cornell. I still don't back off that they are a team on a major rise back. Um, but certainly this type of situation doesn't help them in recruiting. It doesn't help the returning players. It's not a knock on Pete Milliman at all. I think he's nope. going to do a, a great job with any job that he's given. I just think the reality is you have to look at the program and you have to think that there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it after what happened to Ben not too long ago. And now it's seemingly another odd exit with Matt Kerwick, you know, two great coaches and Ben DeLuca and Matt Kerwick that had that, that, that one at Cornell had very short tenures. I mean, it's just, it's just odd. I've never seen, I've never, and you can look at any sport that, a head coach exits right after the season and then they label an interim for the rest of the year and then say that they're going to open up the national search. Now, there's one thing. If if Millman, Pete Millman, is the guy for the job, then hire him. I mean, you've got, what, a month to, to, to put together I mean, a good search? Know. I mean, Cornell. They should, they should know. right? They don't need to go through an this, interview. This is a lacrosse school. Right. I mean, This is a lacrosse school. They've got an unbelievably strong men's lacrosse alumni association. I mean, this, th these group of guys are as high quality people as you are gonna find. Timmy Goldstein, Mike DeStefano, Joe Lizio, Todd Francis, Paul Schmoller. You could go on and on and on and on and on forever about the quality of the people that have played men's lacrosse at Cornell. They gotta be frustrated. And I don't, I haven't spoken to them, but they gotta be frustrated in looking at the situation and saying, WTF, Andy Noel, what's going on? What right. What is going on? I mean, 
It's just an interesting and fascinating situation that pops up. Um, And you wonder, too, that if Michigan has something to do with um, their decision to, you know, slap an interim on Pete Milliman's uh, title uh, where they feel like, you know, Michigan may take the candidates or or converse with the candidates that they would also converse with. And that's going to force extensions on these guys. So they just wanted it all to play out. Like you can already see, Shimadi was given an extension right away. Um, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea if he was actually reached out uh, by Michigan, but you could assume he was probably a phone call uh, to Michigan, and that was enough for the AD at Richmond to lock him up for the future of the program. And that's going to happen a lot, I believe, over the next you know two to three weeks, especially with you know teams dropping out in the national tournament. Uh, you know, you hear about names now, but a lot of the names that you hear in these races are names that are out of the tournament so it makes sense for them to talk to them now so they're not all doing it like at one week after the national that doesn't make sense these administrations are smarter than that but i just you know it's fascinating to see that you know an interim tag uh, once again is going to be placed on a a cornell head coach for yet another year and then think about the recruiting think how hard that is and think about how much pressure that is for pete millman to go out there on the road and have conversations with kids um, or even club coaches about interesting kids when you, you, right. you're going to have not, to they, compete for the job in a year. You're so dead on. It's, it, it, you're not giving Pete Milliman the opportunity to succeed in recruiting as long as he has that interim next to him. What's the purpose of that? Either hire him as the head coach or right. do what's in the program's true best interest and create a coup and get rid of Andy Noel because he sounds like a tool. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have no, I have no information on any of the situation as you just mentioned too. Uh, in fact, my information would probably come from you, uh, considering who, you know, uh, but it's just a, a crazy scenario and situation for, uh, Cornell. And it's interesting to know that, and you can note this time in Cornell history where they've spent, you know, let's just say the last three to four to five, six years between coaches and interim tags that's going to affect the long-term recruiting for Cornell in the future. Uh, and look at the teams that are taking advantage of it. You know, Penn makes the tournament, they're on the rise. They're, they're young team. Uh, Yale has taken advantage of it over the last six, seven years. Uh, Princeton, uh, you know, made the switch. Look, they've, they fired Bates. They, they gave Madeline the interim tag, and then they hired him right after the season. Yeah. Now look at him. You know what? He's got, you're, you're, he's got Michael you're, Sowers you're, at attack. You bring, right. You bring, in, you bring a really good point. I mean, the real winners in this situation with Pete Milliman being hired as the interim head coach and not the permanent head coach, the real winners are Brown and Penn. That's right. Those are the, That's right. Those are the teams that win with this not so much harvard yale and princeton definitely not dartmouth but brown and penn are the big they're winning in this situation because now those kids that may be looking at cornell and may be inclined to go to cornell may end up deciding that they're going to go with a more solid solidly footed coach in Mike Murphy and Mike Daly. Let's just hope that the best kids go to Brown and the worst kids go to Brown. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, just as a reminder, we're going to take a quick break here, but just as a reminder, anytime we tweet out that there's news to come, it might not come right away from those respective schools. And it's not always a head coaching switch. We are a all job opening type of program here, whether it's an assistant coach or a head coach. Um, so if there's news to come, it may not always be the head coach. Again, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk first round matchups, our bracket predictions, our players of the week. And of course, we're going to go through it and uh, you're going to figure out our national uh, champions for each one of us. Uh, hang on tight. We'll be right back. Spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu, talk. 